Hey there, this is Nathan. Welcome to the Camden Haven Anglican Church Podcast. I'm glad you're making the time to listen to this week's teaching. I'll have more to say at the end, but for now, let's dive right in. Uh, I had a friend in Bible college who at the end of every single sermon would finish by saying, Do you love God? And even though it was at the end of every single sermon, it would still catch us by surprise. And, but, but as good Bible college students, we would go, oh, oh, um, oh, yeah, 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 we love God. <laughs> to which he would respond by saying, I can't hear you. Do you love God? To which most would reply the same way, but slightly louder. Yeah. <laughs> I say most people because, except me, (laughs) I wasn't going to reply to that. Uh, I just found it, it felt like a little bit forced, a little bit insincere, possibly even on the edge of being manipulative to get the expected response from the room. I felt like possibly if I was to shout it out, I would be saying it more for him than for real. There was a couple of times which I thought, I'm going to shout out no. (laughs) (laughs) But I was never brave enough, so I never did it. But I wish I did. Among the rabbis of Jesus' time, there was a hot question that they were talking about all the time. And that question was, what is the one single greatest commandment that all the other ones can fall under? There's a big discussion about this. And some said it was the Sabbath commandment to keep the Sabbath. It was that sense that our whole week was pointing towards the Sabbath. And on that Sabbath day, there would be rest. And so it could sit under that. Others said, no, 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 no. It's not so much the Sabbath command. It's the the food commands. And because the food commands are the stuff that you're interacting with every single day. And so you're able to, so all the laws and stuff Uh, follow sort of flow under that so it's no surprise when we find in Matthew chapter 22 for example Jesus was asked that question by an expert in the law he says hey Jesus which do you say is the most important commandment you would have everyone think oh yeah we've been talking about this what does Jesus have to say now Jesus does answer him but doesn't play the game He says, you want to know what the one single greatest commandment is? I'll give you two. (laughs) Remember he says this. The most important one, Jesus answered, is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind, and with all your strength. The second is this. Love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. So what Jesus is saying is that those two commandments were so inseparable that you couldn't have one without the other. Love God, love others, love is the story. And love has always been the story, hasn't it? So think of the Old Testament when 
when um, Israel were thinking about their relationship with Yahweh, their God, it wasn't a master-servant-boss relationship that was being spoken about. And it wasn't, so you could put, a teacher-student relationship, so that it was a learning relationship. It wasn't that. It wasn't even a parent-child obedience relationship. It was a husband-wife love relationship. That is the picture of the relationship that God and Israel had with one another. Now, can you think of any other religion in history or presently when the picture of the people and the deity is husband-wife? You won't find it except in Christianity because the main game is love. That's why the Apostle Paul will say things like, if I have not love, I am Nothing. If I do not love, I am nothing. Now, that's not very much, is it? Nothing. That's why he will also say these three remain, faith, hope, and love, but the greatest is love. We're beginning a series of talks on the letters to the seven churches in Revelation. And the first church is Ephesus, and the key idea is in verse 4. So I'm going to put it up there. I'm going to go back to verse 4. There it is. Uh, they had a big problem. What is it? Their problem is you have forsaken the love you had at first. That's the key verse. Now, forsaken means abandoned. Neglected, sent away, intentionally ignored. Somewhere along the line, it seems, Ephesus, the church at Ephesus, had made a decision to not love anymore. A strange thing to do, isn't it? So it's not that they had lost their first love but that they had left their first love. That's what it's saying. So what is this first love that they had left and that they're called to return to? We've been given three options. I wonder which one you think. The first one is they've left their love for God, some say. And you can remember that love for God that you had when you first got converted. Everything you did, you did for him. You loved Jesus. You were captured by God. And it was great. But there is a sense that you and I, and we all know that the heart can grow a bit cold at times, can't it? That we can say, I remember I used to love more than this. It could be that. Maybe that's their problem. The problem I have with that is... That sort of experience is not something you so much decide to do, is it? But that you drift into over time. 
Others say that leaving their first love was leaving their love for others at church. When coming to church, it was all about a religious experience, that it was just about me and God. It was all about the style of service that I like, the time of service that's convenient, what's good for me. I went to church at a, an 8 a.m. service once, uh, not this church, another one, and it was fascinating to watch. As I came in, everyone was silent before the service. Everyone was sitting there, each of them with their, maybe they had their Bible or their prayer book or whatever it might have been, all in their seats. Uh, then the service went on and then it was time for communion and everybody came down, took their communion, then went back to their seat, got their bag, walked out and went home. Everyone. Is that a place where love for others is happening? But it's not only the uh, stuffy Anglican 8am service. I remember going to quite a big Pentecostal church and I sat down and uh, there, was this, there was this girl sitting just about a seat away from me and uh, pretty much she was in raptures. Whoa, she was going for it and praying, oh, God, I love you so much and doing da, 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 that sort of thing and then sat down. Didn't look at anybody else, didn't speak to me, didn't engage with anyone. It's effectively the same thing, isn't it? Could it be that that was what Ephesus had done. They'd, lost their, they'd left their love for others. But again, does anybody think, I'm going to go to church today and not love anybody else? I mean, does anybody actually say that? Well, out loud anyway. <laughs> I can't think of anybody who does that. And here, the third one is the one I used to think. And that is that they had left their love for the lost. It's when the pastor says, I'm just here to feed the flock. And the flock say, oh, marvellous. We've got someone who will always be ready to come and visit me when I need it. We've got somebody who, well... We'll just make our holy huddle perfect each Sunday. No more awkward approaches of people at the greeting time. No more having to think about what, what person around that I don't know. I can just talk to people I do know. It's so good in the holy huddle. And, when I'm, and during the week... When I actually have an, an engagement with somebody or an, in, uh, a, um, uh, an interaction, thank you, it was there, an interaction with somebody, if I actually don't share with them about Jesus, given an opportunity, I don't have to feel guilty about it because it's just all about the holy huddle. The past is just for us and our church is just for us. Could that be it? that they'd lost their love for the lost. But again, it's not, it might be something you lose, but it's not something you leave, is it? I don't know anybody who said, I've decided 
to not care about anybody new or anybody who doesn't believe. Like, has anybody said that? I mean, maybe there is somebody, but I, I can't imagine it happening. Well, there's the three options we've been given. And they all, in some sense, are things that you could lose or be lulled away from, but they're not really things that you intentionally leave, are they? Most people, when choosing one of those three, most often choose the first one, that is, they've lost their love for God, because we've all had some sense of doing that. So we think, well, I've done that, so maybe that's what they've done. And so maybe this was the situation in Ephesus, they say. Ephesus was a busy church. They were doing all the hard work of ministry, but over time, ministry had become more duty than delight. They had verses 2 and 3. It says they had deeds, dedication and determination. They ran kids' clubs, youth groups, children's ministries. They had nursing home services. They had new believers' courses, musicians rehearsed. They had church plants, growth groups. Yeah, they had 72% in their growth groups of their congregation. And people gave of their money and of themselves. But what it said is what maybe their motivation for ministry was the roster reminder rather than from the heart. And their attitude to ministry was, well, no one else is going to do it, so I may as well. Not that you've ever heard that. No, that's not all. These, these, these people in Ephesus, they added to their deeds and dedication and determination a passion for doctrine as well. They didn't tolerate wicked people, it says. They tested and called out those who claimed to be apostles but are not. They were serious about their Bibles, you could say. But some say maybe that had all just become head knowledge, dry theology. They were hard-headed in their doctrine, but they'd become hard-hearted as well. They were zealous in their deeds, but even though zealous, they had also become loveless. And right and challenging as that scenario or interpretation might be, it's not what I think is happening here. Look at the words again. Yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken the love you had at first. Consider how far you have fallen where you were at first. Repent and do the things you did at first. I believe that the love of Ephesus that they had at first was reflected in the deeds and dedication and determination and doctrine that they had at first in verses 2 and 3. The things that Jesus commends them for. That's the stuff that they were doing at first. And so the phrase, consider how far you have fallen, it is saying, look back at what you used to do, those things in verses 2 and 3 that you did at first, and do those again. 
Their problem, therefore, was not that they were not that, that their problem, therefore, was not that they were doing those things in a loveless way. It was that they were not doing those things anymore. They had left their love in action. Somewhere along the line, they had made the conscious decision to not do those things anymore. They abandoned, neglected, sent away, ignored, left that love and decided they would live off the fumes of past ministry. I get it though, don't you? Verses 2 and 3 describing Jesus describing the work of Ephesus sounds tiring. It's work and deeds. It's determination. It's having to think hard about the Bible. It's understandable that somebody could say, I'm just a bit tired. My brain's a bit tired. My body's a bit tired. Or maybe it was they just didn't have the feels anymore, you know. Yeah, I used to be really excited about this stuff, but I don't really feel that excitement anymore, so I'm not going to do it anymore. Maybe that was it. Whatever their reason is for deciding to not, dare I, seem to be taking the opportunity to be opportunistic, um, that was, a, anyway, um, dare I seem to be being opportunistic, they refused, they decided not to meet the challenges that the ministry that they had begun was continuing into. They made the decision, no. Status quo is what we want. Jesus says, well, you keep heading in that direction, there'll soon be no church there. Your lampstand will be removed. Because a lampstand in Revelation is a picture of the church. Because the lampstand, what does it do? It gives... Listen again, yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken the love you had at first. Consider how far you have fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. It's really saying to us, decide to do that, uh, to Ephesus, decide to do that stuff again and put your deeds where your love is. (laughs) You say, put your money where your mouth is, put your deeds where your love is. Now, the letter to Ephesus is a letter to us. The letter to the seven churches is a letter to us. It's intended to be a letter to us. I'm not saying it could be to us, couldn't it? No, it is to us. It's intended to be for us. Jesus is saying to us, keep loving in action. Keep up the kids' clubs, the youth groups, the church ministries to the nursing homes, the services to uh, the new believers' courses, the church plants, the musicians rehearsing, the growth groups, the people giving of their time and money, and keep up the passion for doctrine. I can't get out of my head a discussion I had with my son when he moved away and was looking for a church to go to. He said he'd been to heaps of them. I said, okay. 
He said he couldn't work out why the majority of people during the sermon were just sort of sitting back as if they were comatose. They weren't sitting forward. It didn't seem that they were expectant of anything to come. They just got used to letting this flow over them like water off a duck's back. I'm still gripped by what he said. He said, if they really believed what they say the Bible is, wouldn't they all be desperately taking notes at every opportunity? Why is it that they often have to be persuaded regularly, unsuccessfully, to talk about the teaching together? And that immediately things demote down to the level of weather and tea. As opposed to those who seem to be so proud that they have 72% of their congregation in growth groups, he said, why not 100%? Why isn't there 100%? Why isn't that the goal? Now, I want to say, I was talking then to a disillusioned young heart. And I want to say, he's still a bit disillusioned. Uh, one of our Bible readers here, uh, Ellen, I won't mention your name. Um, she, she was concerned. She came up to me and said, I'm really concerned of what's happening at church. Uh, she said, you... you the, the Bible readers get a little bit of paper with the, the Bible reading on it and the, the Bible reading gets put up on the, on the wall there and so nobody really needs to open their Bible. Now, I'm thinking, I had some good reasons for doing that. I wanted to make sure this and make sure that. But after I thought about it, I thought, you know, you're probably right. Friends, please... We need to, I keep saying friends, brothers and sisters, decide to allow the Bible to change you. Allow it to keep challenging your beliefs. Don't be driven by your denomination or persuaded by your favourite pastor, P-A-S-T-O-R. <laughs> Believe me. Don't believe me. If I say what's in the word of God, believe me. Don't, don't say, ah, oh, what Nathan said I disagree with. No. Say, ah, oh, what Nathan said is different to what I think. Let me go back to the Bible and have a look at that. Otherwise, we're just sort of propping up our own belief systems and never allowing the Bible to challenge it. Allow the Bible to challenge it. Be zealous in deeds. Be hard-headed in doctrine and show love in action. And really, friends, brothers and sisters, at some point Ephesus decided to say, no, we're not going to do it anymore. We're not going to meet the challenges that ministry presents. It's not going to do it. And so in doing so, they left 
their first love. They abandoned, they neglected, they sent away, they intentionally ignored, they made the decision to not love in action. And in making that decision, they were saying, we don't want to be the church of Jesus anymore, we want to be the club of Jesus. That's a much easier gig. Jesus' call, on the other hand, is to repent and give yourself to those deeds and dedication and doctrine and determination again. To repent is to overcome and do those deeds again for Ephesus. To decide to do nothing is to decide to leave your love. What will you decide? At the end of the passage, Jesus says, To those who overcome, I will give the right to eat of the tree of the knowledge of the tree of tree of life in the paradise of God. Which I was thinking this morning, yet yeah, is true that that is something that we will eat from in the future, metaphorically. But I think he is also saying, as we give ourselves to love in action, we're eating of it today. If there was no conflict in the Middle East today, this passage would still say exactly the same. So friends, brothers, sisters, don't listen because you are intrigued. Listen to Revelation because you're intrigued by speculation about world events. Listen because you want to learn how to love. And let me finish, therefore, by saying, do you love God? <laughs> Got one, yes. Do you love God? <laughs> then love in action and let's meet the challenges and keep meeting them until we die and love doing it. Amen. Amen. Hi again, this is Nathan. Thanks for listening to this podcast. I hope that we shared something that's helpful to you wherever you're at in your spiritual journey. Just so you know a little more about us, we are Camden Haven Anglican Church. We're a church that tries not to be too churchy and more relational. We meet every Sunday. We have four services at two locations. If you want to connect with us, you can find more about us on our website, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, or just send an email to info at havenanglican.com. If this teaching has blessed you, we'd love to hear from you wherever you are in the world. And we pray that we've helped you to grow a little more into Jesus today. See you next time.